Hi everyone, today we will talk about MDClone, a healthcare data platform. MDClone raised $41 million and built the MDClone Atoms platform, which is a powerful self-service data analytics environment enabling healthcare collaboration, research and innovation. And to talk about MDClone, we are joined today by Josh Rubel, the Chief Commercial Officer. Josh leads the commercial team, and prior to joining MDClone, Josh spent 20 years in commercial leadership roles at G Healthcare, Optum, and Enly Health Intelligence. Hi, Josh. It's so great to have you as our guest today. Welcome. Thank you, Oscar. It's a pleasure to be here. Where does this podcast find you? Through this latest variant. I am in my basement in Atlanta, Georgia, my friend. So it is <laughs> okay. about uh, 10 o'clock in the morning here, itching to get through Q4 of 2021 and maybe on to 2022. <laughs> Josh, let's start with you. Give us the cliff notes of your career. Tell us more about yourself. Sure. So I've got a 20 plus year career, which is sometimes difficult to say out loud because it dates me working on the commercial side in healthcare IT, whether through practice management or EHR or population health tooling and large scale analytics tooling. I've been really for 20 plus years working with provider organizations on building out these large scale IT projects, uh, getting them off the ground and then getting them successful across various looking customer bases inside of the healthcare and healthcare IT ecosystem. It's a really great experience. And so could you talk to us about the story behind founding MDClone as a company? Sure. As many of the listeners here probably know a whole lot better than I do, the trajectory and the history of healthcare IT really over the last 50 years, it's a very interesting space. And there've been, in my read, really three generations in terms of healthcare IT activity. I think initially, and in particular on the administrative side, but then moved into the clinical side, there's an effort to digitize, getting data into electronic format. I think we saw that really through stimulus in the United States in a big way, what happened in the aughts. Moving into the teens, I think there were real efforts to connect the digitized data sets that existed across all the different medical legal entities that are taking care of patients in our country. And I think that's really the second generation, how to connect to this data, make it a bit more usable. And really the focus there was on patient by patient connection. If a patient goes from one setting to another, how to connect those settings so that the best care can be provided to that patient. I think the third generation, and I think we're really still maybe at the start or in the middle of it, is enabling the entire healthcare IT ecosystem to improve outcomes. So using data, using the amassed data that were part of the digitization and connection generations I mentioned earlier to uh, enable more so that we can improve outcomes, improve management. I think that's really what our uh, market is calling for. You know, in particular, you know, when you think about the triple aim or the quadruple aim initiatives, we're at a moment now where healthcare IT is focused on improving outcomes and improving management beyond the digitization and connection. Our company at MD Clone, you know, we have a lot of roots in the digitization and the connection space. And I think we recognized several years ago when we started in 2016, hey, there's a real need for more utilization, more usability of this data to help solve some really big problems. And leveraging data to improve those outcomes, like I was mentioning earlier, is really the goal of our business. How do we get more data out there to be used by the people who can really solve some interesting problems around the world? We started in 2016, like I mentioned, and really the kind of our first project to tackle 
was a way to leverage technology to work inside of the privacy framework that exists in healthcare that is sacrosanct and is important. We got to make sure that providers and patients have trusted private relationship and data is at the heart of that. How we can take data that's created and still make it available while conforming to the privacy regulations was really where we started. And from there, we've kind of moved outward or into more of utilization. You know, okay, great. If you can make data more available, what are you going to do with it? What kind of tooling do you need to go find an insight, for example? Along the way, so now we're already almost into 2022, so it's been uh, almost six years. We've grown our customer base. We're now in uh, the United States and Canada, and the business was founded in Israel. We've got uh, significant market penetration in Israel, and we're really starting to see some of that market penetration trajectory here in North America. Uh, happy to go into more detail on that as we go through the pod. And so what was the exact point? in time when the founders decided to move the business from Israel to the U.S.? I think from the beginning of the business, there was an aspiration that there would be growth in North America. I think there's an understanding that the market here is both dynamic and well-heeled, in particular in the U.S. and in Canada. There are other markets that uh, have also seen these kind of digitization and then connection generations already go through. North America is one of the most mature markets in that space. And so they recognize that this is a solid potential market for the aspirations of the company. I think really finding the first customer which was Washington University in St. Louis in 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really our start in North America. It's all kind of fun and games until you find one customer that says, yep, I will sign with you. Josh, could you, by the way, share with us any you know, details behind this deal and how it was closed? It's always you know, super interesting to learn about the first customer. <laughs> deal number one. So it was through an amazing organization, the BioGenerator in St. Louis, which acts as a connection point between kind of interesting industry groups and then provider organizations that are in the St. Louis area. That organization connected us as really part of a speed dating effort to lead uh, executives from different healthcare organizations in and around St. Louis. And one that really made some sense for us to explore was with the Washington University analytics organization focused on healthcare that's run through the university. And it is called I2, and it's led by a gentleman named Dr. Philip Payne. That connection that was made in 2017 turned into a project, turned into a scoping exercise, and then it turned into a long-term contract. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And finding the first one, oftentimes what you hear in the kind of founding moment is the first five customers will be much harder than the next five or really the next 50. There's a lot of truth to that. You know, we couldn't be more thankful and grateful to the team at um, Washington University for trusting us. Mm-hmm. You know, you never have technology that's baked and ready for prime time. There's always a next version. And so you need willing partners to work with. And they've been a tremendous partner for us. Exciting start. Yeah. And so let us take just a small step back. And could you talk to us about the data analytics market in the U.S.? Like, you know, what are the current trends of data sharing and data analytics in the U.S. healthcare? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a big question because data is often viewed as, you know, depending on the analogy, it's either the gasoline in the car or maybe the oxygen in terms of, uh, you know, organic movement in different analogies. Look, I think data analytics, you know, I could split it really into kind of three market segments that are out there serving healthcare organizations and their adjacencies. We see lots of analytic specific point solutions that are out there hey, I need to solve a problem around chronic kidney disease, or I need to solve a problem around a specific workflow, I don't know, perioperative uh, physician scheduling. And I need to understand the past, so I need to perform retrospective analysis to inform decision-making in the future. And I've got a very point solution kind of oriented problem. There are many tools out there that serve those sort of point solutions.
solutions. I listed just two examples. I'm sure the audience here can think of thousands. Then you also have um, kind of prescribed, defined analytics offerings that offer a bit of a wider view, but they still kind of leverage either industry best practice and or standard, hey, we expect every customer to ask this sort of question so we can build canned analytics offerings so that you know whether you're in Seattle like you, Oscar, or if you're in Atlanta like me, generally we're going to ask the same sort of question about diabetics. Mm-hmm. What's their A1C trend? You know, Are they on an ACE and an ARB? And have they received diabetic education? And when was the foot exam, et cetera? Those sorts of questions that are kind of defined by the ADA, the American Diabetes Association, you know, building analytics to help support and make sure that you're kind of hitting a quality metric is another example. I think you know, there are lots of tools out there that do that. And then the third set of tools are more big data style tools that allow you to ask lots of different questions, but they're mostly geared to the IT analyst and the IT shop in a health system. So uh, think, at least on the back end use, think you know Microsoft data tooling like SQL and then adding Tableau on top to enable dashboarding to ask and answer really any question, not necessarily something that's standardized. I think those are the three areas that we see kind of deep healthcare analytics on the provider side. I think in all three, there's a desire or a question on the provider side. Hey, can I expose any of these kinds of tools outside of my organization? So there's a fourth user that people are thinking about, which is you know the startup community, for example, or maybe life science, or maybe a business partner. You know, if you think about an ACO, maybe you know if a payer and a provider are working very close together, how to expose data in a responsible way to those third parties. And that has not necessarily been fleshed out as a market, but I think there's a lot of chatter about how to take one or a combination of those three kinds of tools and make them available to the third-party community that's out there. You've already mentioned some of the customer types mm-hmm. you're serving and helping with the problems, but could you like, you know, more broadly talk about your customer segments and what is your perfect customer persona? You bet. So our view of the world today around those kind of point solutions, the kind of standard analytics views, and then that more self-service exploration mode is that today, largely the solutions in the market are focused on serving the enablers of those tools. So the again, the IT community, the IT analyst community, and not so much the end user who's going to take the insight that's gleaned from a specific analytic exercise and then make it a reality in terms of an outcome that you're trying to improve for a specific patient or for a cohort of patients. Often that persona, you know, she is focused on the patient care and there's an army of people supporting her to make sure that she gets that insight and, and can act. Um, unfortunately, it creates a ton of bottlenecks. That IT community that has to kind of support that one amazing clinician who's trying to do something interesting is a long slog. And the reason there's a bottleneck is it, data projects themselves take a long time and the kind of constant refinement and then how you visualize and what sort of flexibility you give an actual end user, again, that clinician that I was mentioning a second ago, not very mature. Our vision for this market is to really tool for that end user clinician and create a scenario where really anyone in a healthcare system or an adjacency that's been given access can ask and get answered questions to inform exploration that they want to do with as little mediation as possible. Our job is to, and we see this as an aspirational role in healthcare, when you think about how long it takes for an exploration to turn into impacting care, Our job is to shrink that cycle as much as possible and to do it in a way that respects both patient privacy and focuses on utilization by those end users. So the market that we're serving is a relatively new market. We're smushing together those three analytics use cases that I mentioned before, use areas that I mentioned before, point solution, proscribed, and then kind of free form into a single sort of end user driven experience. 
that's where we're heading. And I assume this is likely true for almost all of the founders out there. There is no budget line item for what I just described when we're working with health systems. It is a paradigm shift in terms of how they manage their data and then who they give access to their data. You know, getting to the right market segment might not be the easiest thing in the world to do. But as soon as the leadership and then the end users, again, clinicians who, you know, today it's an interesting scenario. If you walk into a health system and you say, hey, provider, what questions do you want to be able to ask that you haven't been able to ask? That's a new discipline for them. Generally, they say, hey, normally what we hear from the shop, here are the questions you're allowed to ask not be as creative as you'd like. So once we turn ahead and people recognize, hey, wait a minute, this is a new paradigm, they can find budget for it, but you have to convince them that this paradigm is actually going to be used and will be interesting for them. And that's the market orientation that we have and where we're trying to serve. That's you know actually something I want to ask you about. So since you're creating a paradigm shift and actually you know, a new niche of the market, how much of the education part do you need to actually do toward your customers? You know, was the kind of average, I wouldn't call this negotiation, but more kind of educational process for your customers to understand they have this problem and they actually can expand on this offering in a way they haven't thought about before. Yeah, it's a great question. It's one we think about a ton in sales cycle. How much do we have to engage our customer to understand them and then help them understand us and where we can fit, not on our terms, but on their terms? And to do that really well, they have to really know you. They have to be facile with you in a way that requires education. So I, I think it's a great question. And you know what I said earlier about the kind of first five maybe being a little bit harder than the next 50, I think this goes to it because the first five can be real market changers and then folks can start to apply experience that others have gone through to what they're doing now to figure out if there might be value. There's nothing quite like a customer reference in a use case from a place like the VA or Intermountain to help at other places around the world. So our focus on education and our focus on working with customers the good news is, in terms of the discipline of healthcare and the discipline of healthcare facility, healthcare system management, is already data-driven. So the experience of asking for a data set and then waiting six weeks for the analyst shop to get you that data, the end user or the requester of that data, they know they need data. They know they need it to solve a specific problem, whether it's research-oriented, exploration-oriented, operations-oriented. So I don't have to educate them that the data is going to be useful for them. Mm -hmm. they, know, they already know that part. What I have to get them to believe and understand is you, with just 30 minutes of training or 60 minutes of training, can be, instead of a data recipient, you can have an interactive relationship with your data at the raw level so that you can do exploration instead of asking one question, maybe two questions every six weeks. How about you can ask one or two questions every day? And mm -hmm. they get that. I think organizations get that and users get that. The real hard part in the education is then saying, okay, how much is that worth to your organization? How do we come up with a value statement? If you can ask an interesting question every day versus two every six weeks, is there a way for us to monetize that? And what are the downstream impacts? What kind of value stream should we build from a scenario or an environment where we can promise you maybe a bit more in the way of continuous learning or continuous loop as it relates to that exploration cycle? That's really the challenge, not the value of data and the value of self-service. And really the only way to kind of educate that is through experience. So uh, again, having those customers is a big deal. And so is there any repetitive ROI story that you're kind of making part of your sales pitch? Yeah, you bet. Once we, you know, I mentioned before this point solution yeah. universe, once we've tackled something at a place like Jefferson in Philadelphia, it may very well be applicable in a place like WashU or a place like the Ottawa Hospital or Jewish General in Montreal or Intermountain for that matter. There are best practices all over the place. And coming up with an analytics frame, here's where identifying CKD patients who don't know they have CKD at Intermountain is a great example. Can we take that 
you know, that business problem exists just like it exists in Salt Lake City and across Utah and Nevada. It exists in Washington and Georgia as well. Can we take the algorithmic knowledge and apply it for a new customer, say, in Washington or in Georgia? So that can translate. Workflows can also translate. Great. Once you've identified who the CKD patients are that don't know they have CKD, what's the right intervention? How do you bring them in? And then what is the right communication methodology? All of that can also be transferred. So once you've got a kind of packaged, value-oriented, program, you can transfer it. And that story can help be the foot in the door in the next health system or the next health system. So we've done that. And it's really useful for us to have customers in places like Israel and Canada and the US. We get a fair amount of variation and we can see interesting best practices that may work and really cross oceans to impact patient care. Right. And so is there any feature you'd be calling like a killer feature and, you know, your competitive advantage? Yeah. So um, one thing. Yeah, just one thing. I love it. One feature. The one feature I would focus on is our synthetic data capability. So I mentioned before, and I've been talking about utility and privacy a, a bit. I'll just focus on privacy now for a second. But one of the challenges in healthcare, and it's a challenge in healthcare in general, healthcare data use in general, is built around this sacrosanct relationship between provider and patient. How do you make sure that there's never any data that kind of leaves the provider-patient relationship in a way that uh, patients don't want? That is a cornerstone of the bargain between a consumer, a patient, and a provider. You can't mess with that, and you don't want to mess with that. And our aspiration as a company is to protect it as much as possible. So you have that dynamic. At the same time, everyone wants to use healthcare data for something. Again, the listeners to this podcast, I'm assuming, are hungry for healthcare data, and they want to access it in a way that's um, responsible. But they want granular-level detail because they're building things that are going to help people that, that are suffering from a disease or that are you know running health systems, et cetera, et cetera. So what we've built is an on-demand engine where if you ask a question of a health systems data, we can give you that answer in two flavors. One flavor is in original data. So if you're looking for cohorts of patients and you're allowed to see real level patient detail, for instance, if you happen to be their provider, so you would be able to see real patient data, we allow you to view that data. The differentiator that you asked for, we have a synthetic engine that runs alongside the platform. We can also provide the answer in a format that looks and feels almost identical to the original data. It is granular in detail, but it is a synthetic derivative. It is entirely made up of fictional data that tells the same story as the original data, but has no, not only has no PHI, it is fictional. It is not tied to a specific patient, mm -hmm. but it can be used to answer questions that you would ask of original data. What that frees up is now you have uh, both internal users who maybe aren't allowed to see specific patient info, and you have this potential for external users to go interact with this data. The key is that it's on demand. We don't create a synthetic lake somewhere and it's mm -hmm. static. You can ask a question one today, and then 16 seconds later, change a parameter, refine the question that you're asking, and you can generate a second synthetic output based on that second question, and we will give you answers on demand. So it makes it even more actionable than, than before, right? It makes it more accessible to many, many more different populations and stakeholders. So for example, if you wanted to engage in a life science project in your health system, you can simply open your MD clone environment to them, allow them to explore real data. And then the output they see is only in synthetic, so never compromising any of the privacy standards that the organization has while giving life science access to real world evidence on demand. Again, that cycle, when you think about it, often is measured in not just months, but sometimes years, not hyperbolic we can shrink that to seconds or minutes. 
Do you already have any use cases with life sciences customers? We do. We do. In places like Israel, we have uh, life science organizations that interact with synthetic data. And really what they're looking for is a way to understand you know, what's happening with a specific drug in a community and following outcomes mm -hmm. to see, okay, what is best practice? And so we have relationships with companies like AstraZeneca and in Israel in particular, several other organizations and growing in North America relationships where there's real interest in getting access to this real world data. It's the same use case with a startup. And we've done hackathons, and there are many different startup organizations in Israel that have also leveraged synthetic data. I would point the listeners here to an organization that's part of the Sheba Medical Center. I believe it's still the largest single facility hospital in the Middle East, roughly a 2,000-bed giant campus right outside of Tel Aviv. They've built an innovation center called ARC, where they invite third parties. They invite life science organizations, and they invite startups to interact with their environment, both as a living laboratory you know, they take care of patients there and they use MD clone to free their data up to those organizations in exactly the manner that I was just describing. They've got, you know, many tens, almost even a hundred third-party partners that interact in those environments. We're going to put a link under the episode to this hospital and the ARC. Yeah. And so just getting back for a second to life sciences part of the market. Mm -hmm. So say a typical trial sponsor say Novartis or Astra or somebody else. And, you know, trying to compare your offering to say, you know, patients like me or like health coming from Israel, a much younger startup. What would be your, you know, competitive advantage trying to look like patients like me and an MD clone? Sure. I'll focus on MD clone. There are tons of amazing technologies out there and great tools. And this market does not lack innovation. It's happening. It's a fascinating place. I think the key output that you'll get from MD clone versus really any other real world evidence or real world data offering is that you get unvarnished, real granular level detail in output on demand as a life science user. And you get it literally in seconds or minutes. And you can refine to your heart's content the actual raw data that you end up using to model. And you can do all of this without removing data from a customer's environment and without having to go through any of the de-identification steps or any of the data use agreement steps that often follow you anytime you want to do a data project. You can do all of it through a simple arrangement between MD clone, the health system, and the third party, in this case, a life science company. And the kind of key, the silver bullet is you'll only see synthetic data, but that synthetic data will be telling the same story as the original. Granular level detail, for example, correlation between you know a heart failure patient looking at weight gain over time and the use of a specific chemical molecule with a comorbidity and maybe also cross-reference that to inpatient admission. That sort of question, that kind of wait over time, and maybe add a zip code to that, I want to see where it's happening in a country, is really difficult to get in other real-world evidence offerings. For us, those are the available data parameters because they exist inside of the health system's data set, and they're now entirely available for exploration. The differentiator is the quality of the data they get. You know, It's real, and the time it takes for them to get it. So speed to market for them, they can interact with it You know, five seconds after our contract done, they can interact with that data pretty quickly. That's super powerful. I'm really impressed. You know, as a physician, if I'd be able to understand the pattern of my patients and, you know, the moment when 90% of them get a so-called, you know, decompensation in CHF, right? And it kind of act before those unplanned readmissions, that's really huge. And so what's the vision for the next 10 to 15 years for MD clone? What's the grant plan? I loved this question, Oscar, when you shared the expected question list before, and I saw 10 to 15 years, I thought, wow, that 
is a very long time horizon. Normally, I think about quarters and years, and then I get into you know maybe three years. When we chat with our board, we do talk about a three and a five year plan. So I'm not allergic to longer term planning. But at 15 years, I want a world where best practice sharing is entirely ubiquitous. I want a world where healthcare data, my healthcare data, and then the healthcare data ecosystem that's out there is way more trained on helping me as a patient. And healthcare data that's out there inside these ecosystems is readily available to help the medical legal entities. Our customers have run their businesses better. Today, I believe healthcare is behind in terms of data utilization, mostly on the clinical side. I think operationally, many health systems have got this figured out. There's uh, leading indicators associated with scheduling appointments and billing. You know, there's a ton of expertise that's out there and folks know how to use data on the financial and the administrative side. On the clinical side, the questions are stickier and thornier. There's way more variation on the clinical side and you're looking for uh, patterns in data that change every 15 seconds. And there's a ton of data. There's so much of it. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I want that environment that I was just describing. I want it to be data richer for sure. I mean, just think about the last two years with the explosion in wearables, not just genomics, now proteomics. You know, there's going to be more data out there. It's that's the new Moore's laws. It's not about processing speed. It's about how much more data there's going to be on planet Earth. The ability to harness that to improve operation, I think, is what our customers are going to need. And that's clinical operation. Look, at the end of the day, when we talk about clinical operation. It's not about staff. I mean, staff scheduling matters, beds matter, a lot of things matter. But the thing that matters the most for our customer is how well they take care of patients, how they're able to improve outcomes at the population level, at a cohort level, and at each individual patient level. I want data to be telling them or helping them make really good decisions to guide patients to better outcomes. That's what I want. Today, we're starting at the macro level. Our view as a company is there are all these obstacles associated with getting to that aspiration that I just talked about. We have to keep picking them off one by one. So we started with privacy and the necessary but uh, kind of difficult scenario that privacy puts us in, and that was the synthetic innovation. We've moved now into self-service, getting more of this data into the hands of providers as fast as possible and as early as possible. We're now moving into this life science space that I mentioned. Hey, it's not just the internal staff at a health system that may be using this data. Let's make it available to external. And really, our next innovation is going to be connecting best practice from one facility to another so that something really smart that's happening in Intermountain can be available at Jefferson in Philadelphia, really without a ton of uh, program program work. Um, after that, you know, I think we're going to be focusing on how to get this stuff into point of care workflow so that the more precision you have available to you as you're treating a patient, you know, will be kind of more versus less data informed. I think today we're, we're really just scratching the surface there. I think MD clone will be in that space, you know, five to 10 years from now. I think 15 years from now, when we've got a moon colony, maybe MD clone will be the platform for um, healthcare on the moon, Oscar. Ah, that's a great plan. <laughs> okay. Let's switch gears to some of the personal questions. So I'd love to start this part with asking you about the kind of advice you're giving to other digital health founders and maybe even your younger self? That is a great question. Um, there's often, especially in the founder moment, you know, you're building a new company, you've got an interesting idea. There's often an instinct or an impulse to really focus on the technology. And the one thing I would tell myself maybe 10 years ago, and maybe, you know, if this is valuable for your listeners, you know, the piece of advice is really focusing much more on the intended outcome for the customer. So if it's healthcare related, finding your way all the way to patient care or uh, better operation or reduction in costs or maybe increase in revenue or better competitive position, you know, health systems have those goals. Make sure what you're building is going to touch 
one of those goals and be able to clearly tell that story. You know, hey, uh, this new scheduling app is going to increase your throughput in your ambulatory surgery center. You know, your average ambulatory surgery visit is $1,000. If I can increase your schedule flow by 0.2%, you've got 20 of these ambulatory surgery centers. Here's the economic win for you, customer. You have to be able to tell that story all the way through start to finish. And I think you got to push yourself and you got to push your teams to clearly enunciate that for really everything you do. I think that's one piece of advice. I think the other, and this may not be what uh, this market wants to hear, but I think it's probably the experience of many of the folks here. Nothing happens really fast in healthcare and healthcare innovation, primarily because the currency of our health systems, the reason they exist is to take care of people. They can't try a new way to take care of people really quickly. There has to be you know, more review. And often these organizations, especially if they're large-scale hospital systems, these are large, complex, in particular on the IT side, you know, there's a ton of data dependency and really anything that you're going to do, things take time. And so you know, when you think about a forecast and you think about, ah, it's reasonable to think that we'd be able to get something done in three months, my general advice is to double, maybe even triple that as a rule of thumb. Triple. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything our community can help you with, either in a personal way or, you know, if there's anything we could do for MD Clown? You know, I said earlier that there's a ton of innovation happening in this space, and this community in particular is driving. You're on the really the tip of the spear around what's going to get built and what's going to add value for our customers. You know, so two things, given that context, two things that I care about in this community. The first is I want to know about it. And I'm interested in hearing and getting outreach. There's so much communication that goes on that's asynchronous. I think I want a synchronous relationship with this community because there's really great things that are happening. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast, often data is oxygen. I think in many cases for new capability that's being built, to test new capability, to deploy even in certain scenarios, there may be a data need that this group has. And you know, often in our marketing literature, we say, you know, look, healthcare data, you know, the people who have it can't share it and the people who need it can't get it. We want to help change that paradigm a bit by making it a little bit easier for our customers to share and then making it a little bit easier for folks who want to get their hands on it to access it. So if there are specific needs that those of you in the community here have around accessing healthcare data, we're wide open to engaging in commercial conversation around how to make that sort of thing possible. What's the best way to contact you? So I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on like the rest of planet Earth, I think. I'm on email and I'm on Twitter and I'm on all those different places. I think um, as part of this podcast, I think we'll include my email in the credits to make it easy to okay. get in touch. Yeah. And so my last and probably favorite question would be, is there anything our listeners should read or listen or watch? Do you have any recent inspirations? I do. So I'm a voracious reader. You know, I read a mix of a mix of business books, but I really spend a lot more time reading non-business books. And I'm going to give you one business book that has been by my bedside now for about maybe 11 or 12 years that I keep going back to. And it's a book called Beyond Selling Value. And I believe I have no relationship with the authors other than I've met them a few times and I've uh, you know paid them to speak at a event or two, but I don't get paid if you buy this book. But it's a guy named Mark Shanka. S-H-O-N-K-A and Dan Kosh, K-O-S-C-H. They are the authors. And again, the book is Beyond Selling Value. And the reason it's so useful as a book around commercial processes, it helps you understand why and how important it is for you to speak the language of the customer and not the language of the tech or not the language of your company. And part of that is understanding them. And then the other part of that is really buying into if there's going to be a business fit between what you 
offer and either what they need but don't know they need or they need and they can enunciate exactly what they need how to make those fits happen i've read you know countless books around sales process anyway i've been involved in many 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 different sales process trainings they're all useful they all can be useful this one for me has been the most useful in terms of behavior and it really gives you a kind of an effective way to go about the selling so that's one on the business side on the personal side if i may the thing that I'm reading right now that's been really fascinating, every once in a while I read a, a book that's uh, for cheap thrills, and there's an author named Joe Abercrombie. I picked up a book on, and he's quite good. It's like an alternate universe sort of writer, and he's telling interesting political stories in this alternate universe. The guy's name is Joe Abercrombie. Give it a shot. Yeah, a New York Times editorial writer, I think, turned me on to him, Ross Dowvit. And so anyway, I'll pass that along to the world as well. Yeah, we're going to put you know links to both of those books under the episode. Okay, Josh, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you, to meet you, and also to learn more about MD Clone. Thanks for being part of the pot today. You bet, Oscar. Thanks, team. Our producer is Michelle. Carol is our editor. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to Digisection from the Health Podcast Network.